So, as we mentioned last week, we went to the OCN's, the Owners Corporation Network's uh, 20th anniversary event on Wednesday. It's quite a lot of high-powered people there. Yeah, it was. the room was packed. It was a fabulous occasion. The building commissioner, David Chandler, was there. The property services commissioner was there. John Minns. And we got a, a video message from Victor Dominello. Mm, and Clover Moore. And Clover Moore. It's very exciting and interesting. So today we're going to take a listen to what David Chandler said in his speech. He said a couple of really interesting things about new innovations. And uh, we'll have a chat about that. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is a flat chat wrap. David Chandler seems to be a very popular man. (laughs) Absolutely. He's a great speaker, isn't he? I mean, he's very colourful and interesting and very accessible. Yeah. So we're going to take a listen to his speech and uh, we'll have a chat about that. Now, without OCN, we might never have been blessed with a building commissioner at all. And without this particular building commissioner, we might never have witnessed a profound and meaningful change in the building industry. Please welcome your building commissioner, David Chandler. Well, it's a privilege to uh, be here today because um, we've been on a long journey together. But this, today's story is really about OCN. And I was talking earlier with a few folk here that I see this as a bit like a, a graduation ceremony where I've seen an organisation over 10 or so years where I've been observing it um, go from what was essentially about victims to an organisation that's about advocacy. And you get a much more he- coherent engagement with people who have a clear advocacy perspective rather than just simply being bogged down with their experience as victims. Now, that's not in any way to devalue the hell that I have seen people going through. And uh, it's been really the motivator for me is that I've, I've really had some really fantastic owners who have been through hell and they have broken down and they have cried on my shoulder, and I think I've cried back because I do empathise with that. And I guess in a way that's a motivator. So when we've started to do the things over the last couple of years that we've done, they've really been about how do we take a perspective in all of this that says when you have to make decisions in the role that I've got, how do you balance that? And I think the RAB Act is the first piece of meaningful legislation that really gave us the tools to start to turn this around. And I guess the neat thing about that is that it really gives me very unfettered powers, but I really only have to form a reasonable opinion about a defect as opposed to be able to overly demonstrate the fact that it is. And I am comfortable with that because... What it does allow me to do is to weigh up whether the impact on the developer is such that the commercial impact would be devastating or whether they actually deserve to be devastated. But they can always, under those legislation, go and take my decisions to the Land Environment Court and 
and the court can stand in my shoes and, and change my decision. But with an occupation certificate, an owner's corporation can't have that decision reversed. Once it is there, it is there. So more frequently in my decision making is that I weigh those two things and say, well, if the developer doesn't like my decision, he can take me to the Land Environment Court, but if the owner's corporation gets stuck with a lousy occupation certificate, they're stuck with a lousy occupation certificate. So that's been really the genesis of all of the work, that we've really put the customer first. Now, my, my colleague Natasha Mann is here. You put your hand up, Natasha, uh, because Natasha and I both report to the Secretary and we report to the Minister of the Day. That journey started with Kevin Anderson. Uh, how, how good was Kevin Anderson as a minister? I mean, how available was he to all of you and to all of the other stakeholders to listen to what they wanted to say and how rationally did he and Gavin Melvin uh, approach those conversations? And it would not have been possible to actually have done this job if it wasn't inside the Department of Customer Service. I don't think many people understand just exactly this thing called the Department of Customer Service that's been shaped by a couple of very energetic ministers over the years, of which, of course, the most uh, strong spear thrower in all of that is, is Minister Dominello. But really, the Department of Customer Service sees the world through how do we provide better services to the public of New South Wales and the customers of New South Wales, but how do we provide a customer experience to everybody that we have to deal with? So some of you may be surprised that we actually stop and think about how do we provide a customer experience to some of the crook developers? Um, how do we moderate our behaviour in a way that uh, we have to actually get them into the table where we can actually have a coherent outcome? So it would not have been possible but without being in the Department of Customer Service. It would not have been possible if it wasn't for this one-time rebuild of the state's digital capabilities. This digital New South Wales movement that has been led by this minister, Dominello, um, will be a lasting legacy to this state. And uh, if anybody thinks that train is not going to carry on, the power of digital has underpinned the work that we've done. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that uh, I'm progressively handing over what I would call the operational piece of work to Natasha and her team. And of course, you know that I've recently agreed to Matt Press moving across to be the executive director of the of BRD. And we need to think about making sure people understand what that is because fair trading and safe work is housed in that uh, entity. But we're moving what we see are the confident operational pieces back to the mainstream business. And that's Natasha. And so you're all going to need to understand um, that what her important role is. So Jimmy, today I want you to realise there is a face on this person and I want you to make sure you understand that because uh, she's got a very passionate and able uh, Deputy Secretary in that space and it's a big job. It's a huge job and uh, I don't think anyone realises at any time just how many moving parts that role has. But I've got a great relationship with Natasha as, as I have with John Minns because we've still got a lot of work to do in the next year. We have an amazing amount of work to do in the next year. And, and I think the work that we've achieved to date, while I'll call out the government and the ministers, I also want to acknowledge the fact that the crossbenchers and the opposition have bought into what we're doing. And I want to say that uh, that's a once-off experience. I'm told 
that uh, getting something like the RAB Act through a parliament where it was put on the table in February 2020, it was through the parliament by June 2020 and it was enabled on the 1st of September 2020 with unanimous support of all members of parliament. Unanimous support is an unprecedented result. And that happens with everybody buying into the fact that we had a common problem that needed to be fixed. And Karen, you've made that case and it's no reason, it's no surprise to me that you'll be giving the accolades today for what you've achieved. Now Karen's also going to be at the front edge, so she sent me an email yesterday to say, hey David, what do you think about we had zero carbon by 2030 for the strata industry, or for the apartment industry? And I said, well Karen, I'm not sure. Fortunately, I'm not in Cabinet, so I don't have to make that decision. But uh, maybe we just better think about what, what the progressive journey might look like. But whether it's 2030 or whether it's 2035, Karen, this industry is going to clean up its Carbon Act big time, and it needs to. And, and I think your drive, if you drive that as a, another part of your string of, uh, of activities, is that reducing carbon in our industry requires an end-to-end -end resolution from the very point you imagine a building to the very point you make a building and then through its lifetime. So it's a really worthy piece of work and I'm going to commit myself to working with you on that. So what's... Yep. Oh, okay. I've become very cautious about jokes as well. And I've even become cautious about where I play the air violin. But... Um, so look, just as a quick heads up of where we've been, where we're going, um, the former Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, when I first met with her and I accepted this job, she said, David, I want you to focus on making buildings trustworthy in the first iteration of your role. And then in the second iteration of your role, I want you to focus on what can we do with the buildings that are built? So we've had to boil the ocean slowly. We've, we've had to deal with the fact that there's been discontent that perhaps we haven't got to some of these defects earlier and we haven't really been able to make the impact that you have expected, but we've never lost sight of the fact that that's the mission. So I can tell you that within the next fortnight we'll be announcing a, a new initiative called Project Intervene and that will be looking at how can we apply our, our learned capabilities now to go back and make a difference on buildings that are what we call legacy buildings that have got serious defects in those buildings. Now, I don't want to get you to imagine. You should not get ahead of the expectation that we can fix everything. It'll be the art of the possible. We'll really agitate to fix those things we can fix. There will be some things we can't fix. I don't know what the answer to those buildings is, but right now I want to start off with Project Intervene with you believing that to the extent is possible, we will agitate, we will hold people accountable, we will make them face up to their defects and go back and fix them. And we've already got 27 projects that we've been doing as a pilot to prove whether we think our methodology is going to work. So for the next year, my greatest effort is going to be on looking at these legacy buildings because I'm comfortable now that the team is really settled on making the buildings that are coming uh, over the fence right now. So I'm hoping, Karen, waterproofing is something we'll forget about down the track, um, but I... I, I think we've turned that around, uh, but we've got more work to do. So look, that's where we've been to, impact on making buildings. Now we're going to turn our minds to what happens to buildings after they're built and to the extent we can make people accountable, 
and go back and fix some of this stuff, we will. So thank you for being our partner on that journey, Karen. Cheers. A couple of interesting points there, Sue. Mm, absolutely. The zero carbon was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> that seems to be a new initiative from the OCN to try and have zero carbon by 2030. Yep, and we'll talk about that and his other initiative, uh, Project Intervene, after this. And we're back. And it was funny because the OCN chair, Fred Tuckwell, was a bit miffed that uh, he'd been hoping to announce the carbon initiative himself. (laughs) I think David Chandler stole his thunder a little bit. But uh, it's all all in a good cause. Mm. So the idea is that new buildings, I believe, will they want them to be zero carbon by... Mm. New strata, yeah. By uh, 2030. Mm. And that's quite... People don't realise the the carbon that's locked into high buildings Mm. um, in terms of the amount of energy that's used to build them. Mm. Yep. Um, And... Obviously, if they can find some way of reducing that, uh, so that at the end of the day, it's carbon neutral, that's quite a a challenge, really, isn't it? Absolutely. I guess they were probably talking more about new buildings. Um, Yeah, for sure. They they, they want all strata buildings to be carbon neutral by 2030. But then, retrospectively, older buildings can retrofit, you know, um, solar panels. They can refit batteries. They can reduce the amount of water they use by... Um, or saving water generally. and, and Well, yeah. yeah, and metering water, I suppose. If yeah. you've got a meter, you're probably much more likely to use less water. Yeah, you mean individual meters mm, within that's right. the apartments. Yeah, so and looking that- at changing pools from gas heating to electricity and then power that, powering that by solar. Do you think the idea is that by making all these savings on the energy wastage in new buildings as they're being lived in will counter the amount of energy used in building them. Well, hopefully. I guess that's the idea, isn't it, really? I mean, unless they're talking about using renewable... I mean, it can't be really, I suppose, using renewables to actually build the building. No, I don't think that's possible yet. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) one day. Yeah, well... Maybe they say, oh, we want a building here and let's let the sunshine build it. (laughs) Or hydrogen. Mm-hmm. You could have hydrogen-powered cranes and things like that. Mm, sure. Um, I don't know if they'll ever get to the point of having electric. No, they seem to be developing everything electric. Mm, so, yeah. so that's one possibility. And the other one, the other thing that you mentioned was Project Intervene. Mm. Now this is, and he referred to the fact that there's been a lot of frustration in the community because older buildings haven't been getting dealt with. I mean, he's been working on buildings that are in the process of being built. And he seemed to be saying that they've got everything in, pl- in place to look after the buildings that are currently under construction. Mm. But they want to look at older buildings. Now, by older buildings, I mean, he calls them legacy buildings. I'm guessing that that's buildings that are completed and inhabited, but less than six years old. All right. So their warranty period would still be... Yeah. Because he said, um, we've already got 27 projects that we've been doing as a pilot to prove whether we think our legacy, sorry, our methodology is going to work. 
Um, so for the next year, my greatest effort is going to be on looking at these legacy buildings. Um, it would have to be. I mean, he's talking about getting people mm. to come back and fix the defects. That's right. With those developers and builders that are still around, hopefully. Yeah, yeah mm. that's it, yeah. Because he also mentioned in his speech the idea that when they go after uh, developers, they have to consider whether forcing them to fix their defects is going to drive them into bankruptcy, mm, yeah. drive them out of business. He also said that they have to decide whether they should be out of business anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, because I guess some of those um, developers, there'll be no, not much loss for them to go under, really, apart no. from the fact that we still want them to fix their defects. Well, that's the problem, you know, mm. if they go under. And I think that's another thing. I think that's one of his frustrations is that he's aware, as we are, of developers who will deliberately uh, bankrupt themselves so that the directors can walk away from the, mm, their obligations, their obligations. Mm. and I think he's frustrated that ASIC uh, don't look at that as a form of fraud mm. which it is really yeah, that's right especially for repeat offenders yeah so if he's looking at buildings within their six-year warranty period then he'll be able to go back to those developers and builders and say right fix these but I guess for the older buildings ones that are older than six years there's not an awful lot he can do for those I mean he, he has been looking at buildings that are, are retrospectively refitting themselves and kind of adding new facilities and new parts, stages of the building onto onto them and kind of inspecting those to make sure those construction, additional construction are up to scratch. Mm. But I guess really he can't do an awful lot for the older buildings. No, I mean, it's funny because he's saying that they are their next focus will be to get developers to go back and fix the stuff on recent builds. But I wonder if the next phase after that will be to compel owners' corporations to fix the defects they know about in their buildings, even when they're mm. out of warranty or, or, mm. or much, you know, way out of warranty. So the focus on the owners' corporations rather than on the developers and builders. Well, the, the developers are gone. So, mm. yeah, uh, sure. But you know, you you do we do know about buildings where people go in, they buy in, and realise there are defects, and rather than going to the great expense and trouble of fixing them, they think I need to sell out before yep, people find out about this. And there are a number of buildings around with fire orders against them, but the, you know, if the council doesn't insist on the building doing rectifications to make make them safer, everybody's kind of living there with a bit of a risk. Yeah. And that's happening all over Sydney, I think, too. Well, we're just hearing about a building near here where they're, they went and looked at their fire doors and they basically crumbled <laughs> fell apart and then <laughs> mm. checked all their other fire doors and discovered that they were seriously in need of repair and the amazing thing was that all these fire doors had allegedly been checked several times over the past mm. few years yeah which is happening you know everywhere the, the fire inspectors come in and just tick boxes mm. and don't really I mean, I guess that like everybody else they're on a time scale and they, they've got to move on to the next project kind of thing or they're lazy and they don't care. That would be another possibility. Um, the other thing that David Chandler has been saying, um, not in this speech, is about buildings that have had uh, renovations and repair work done. And those renovations and re repair work could have been done by a registered tradesperson and builder, or they might have just been done by a hobby renovator. And they, there's just a huge disparity in 
whether the work that's been done is actually up to code, for instance. Mm, yeah. Well, that's what I was saying earlier, really, that, right. you know, that's the only power he has really to go back and make sure that that new construction work is going to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting time, but he seemed very settled. It was, uh, he made a couple of wry comments uh, about it having been an interesting year. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he had to re- offer, offer to resign or threat, well, he, he resigned. He didn't mm. offer to resign mm. um, to get things sorted out in fair trading um, and customer service, his department. Mm. So it has been an interesting time for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably worth mentioning that the um, executive uh, director of the Owners Corporation Network received um, a Lifetime Achievement Award. And she was called the Erin Brockovich of <laughs> the Strata industry for all yeah. the work she's been doing, which has been fantastic as well. Yeah, that's right. That's um, Karen Stiles. Karen Stiles. Congratulations, yes. Karen. And she did not expect that award. No. Genuinely, we spent a lot of time because I hosted the event and uh, I had to spend a lot of time helping to organize it in a way that she would not know that she was going to get the big award of the evening. Mm, that was fantastic. And that is another aspect of this, the, you know, apart from the David Chandler thing, there was a lot of praise heaped on the OCN for the work that they've done for the past 20 years. I mean, you mm. were there right at the beginning. Mm. You got an award. Yes, yeah, I got a Lifetime I, 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 Achievement I, I, Award too. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and a surprise. Yeah. And, uh, and there were a few people there from the very f- first meeting of the OCN as well, which was... Great to see from some of the buildings around Sydney. Yeah, you made a nice speech talking about how you'd. We had trouble in our building with defects and corrupt developers and managers and and the rest of it, and how you reached out to other buildings and discovered that they all had exactly the same problems Mm. or very similar problems. Mm. And that was the start of it all. Mm. And there was some speculation about whether things would be better in. Victoria and Queensland, if they'd managed to get something like the Owners' Corporation Network Mm. going. I mean, there were efforts a few years ago to try and set up um, satellite branches of the OCN. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why they they never really got going. Well, I guess they didn't, yeah, I mean, they didn't manage to get a big big groups in either of the states, but in Queensland they they had the unit owners yeah that's, association that's, of Queensland, which has been going a long long time. That's true, and they're quite lively. But they uh, tend to be very focused on management rights. Yeah, well, that's been their biggest problem. So yeah, yeah. and then in Victoria, they set up a group called, which is still going, called We Live Here. But they were very focused on fighting short-term rentals mm. and, and mm. not successfully, it has to be said, even mm. though they had a lot of support from Melbourne City Council. Mm. Um, they just, but you know, that was a problem. The issue for them was it was a single issue campaign and they lost the battle very early. The Victoria just, the Victorian government just said, yeah, bring them in. We don't, we don't care. Mm. I think something like that will evolve in Victoria and Queensland. Mm. Um, and there was some talk about how if everything goes well, then the OCN will become irrelevant and redundant over the mm. next few years because yep. the problems will have been dealt with at a government level. Mm. You never know. You never know. It would be we a can, nice, nice aim, wouldn't it, really? We live in hope. 
<laughs> and the Erin Brockovich Award was quite, I think somebody was going to call it the Karen Brockovich Award. It was <laughs> quite apt because mm. there is somebody going around calling themselves the Erin Brockovich of Strata and uh, they're not. <laughs> Well, it was a, it was an interesting evening. It was, it was. So, was. next week uh, the podcast will be pretty much given over to the lawyer in the hot seat session I had with David Bannerman the other day. I mean, we were supposed to talk for an hour, and it went for about an hour and twenty minutes. <gasps> so, is the podcast going to be an hour and twenty minutes? as the well? The podcast will be serialized. <laughs> we'll probably split it over. We'll cut out a lot of the. The, the blather, which was mostly me, and... Uh, because I think you dealt with some really in interesting two. issues, didn't you, really? We covered... I mean, mould uh, in, in apartment blocks was a big topic, mm. but there were lots of other things, and how to get rid of a dysfunctional committee was one of them. Uh, mm. That came up. And we got through about 30 questions, which is not bad in the time allocated. Mm. And... Uh, there were a lot of uh, tangential issues that came up as well uh, mm. that, that questions led to. I, I mean, you can tell when you've been speaking for over an hour and you're not even real, you're not even aware of the time that uh, it, it's, it was pretty interesting. So that will be next week and the week after. Um, it will be Lawyer in the Hot Seat. and okay. uh, Look forward to it. All right. And thanks for this, Sue. Thanks for coming and talking about your big night last week. Mm, pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap. With a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.